Welcome to the Egg Gap Evolution Podcast. I'm your host, Mariah Phillips. You can call me Mariah because that's my name. And I'm thrilled to have you on this journey with me and all of the spectacular guests who jump on the podcast to give you more options for educating children so that children can have more options for building a magnificent future. The Egg Gap Evolution Podcast is a digital community where parents, educators, and innovators drop the details on how they are using their lives to help children explore the vastness of education beyond the textbook so we can close America's education gap together. And just in case you didn't get the memo, producing a podcast is a whole lot of work. We're talking schedule coordination, production, the list goes on and on. So in return for bringing you this show every week, we just ask that you always find a way to share and use what you learn on the podcast to enrich children and families everywhere. Alrighty, without further ado, come along with me to meet our very first guest. Welcome to the very first episode of the Egg Gap Evolution podcast. I'm so excited because we are interviewing yogi, educator, and an all-around dynamic woman, Emily Fleming, who's going to talk to us today about her story, her career in yoga and school. So Emily, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mariah. How are you? I'm doing so well. So glad that we're having the opportunity to talk. And I just wanted to start off, if you could um, tell us a little bit about your story, like take us back and tell us about um, where you're from, how you got into practicing yoga, all those good details. Sure. So I am originally from uh, Baltimore, Maryland. So born and raised here, Uh, went to undergrad in Maine. um, And after I graduated from college, I taught uh, in Chicago for three years. I taught special education and I moved back to Baltimore about six years ago for this teaching job. And I've been here ever since. Um, My family's still here. So it's really nice to Um, be really close to them. And my yoga journey started when I was about 16. Um, My mom had gotten really into yoga after a tennis injury, and I was a two-season athlete, and she convinced me to go uh, between seasons because she thought, you know, I might like it. It might help me relieve some stress. Um, So I went, you know, begrudgingly to humor my mother at first. Um, And then I started realizing that when I would drive home from yoga class, I would be so much more relaxed and all of the assignments and things that I had been stressed out about before class suddenly didn't seem like such a big deal. Um, And so that really got me hooked. Um, And when I was in college, um, I was really lucky to find a yoga studio that Um, was the same style of yoga that I had practiced here, which uh, for small town Maine um, was very rare. Um, And I essentially made the yoga studio my second home in college. I did my 200-hour teacher training uh, my junior year, um, and it just sort of all snowballed snowballed from there. So that's that's how it started. That's that's a story. (laughs) Um, it's interesting that you started at 16 because I mean, I've talked to a lot of yogis and rarely do you hear of anybody starting at that age, although begrudgingly, as you (laughs) made a point to add, I wonder what, when you realize that yoga was working for you, like it was doing what yoga is essentially supposed to do, helping you to relax or, you know, um, center or just improve your life all around at the age of 16 or even 18 or 19, how did you handle 
being that new version of yourself with your friends or like in social settings where you like, I have to tell everybody I know? Did you keep it to yourself? How did that go? That's a really great question. I definitely um, developed a separate community, I would say. I had a, I developed a, a yoga community, right? Um, that was somewhat separate from uh, my friend group. Although I will say my friend group did, um, you know, my senior year of college, especially, um, they started coming to yoga classes when I was actually teaching at the studio. And so I feel really lucky that they, um, you know, took that leap and were willing to try something new. And then they um, really started to embrace it. And it's, it's funny now because they're, you know, so many of them like do yoga regularly. Um, but I, they were very separate worlds for me um, for a while. And, you know, I think that because I was just learning and just exploring my own practice, I, I needed to do that work first before I was like, hey, this is a great thing that everyone should try. Um, right. It was more of a, hey, this has been really helpful for me. This is something I enjoy doing. Um, but I definitely kept those worlds um, pretty separate. Although in college, a lot of times my friends understood, you know, if I wasn't coming to lunch with them or something, it was because I was at a yoga class or doing yoga teacher training. Um, so there was, there did end up being some blending. Um, but at first it was definitely a, a personal exploration, uh, before I got comfortable into the point where I felt like I could really talk about how it was, you know, helping me and, um, and, and share that with, with my friends and, and community members. That's amazing. I, I'm wondering after college. So did you have an ultimate dream job after college? Was Did it have anything to do with yoga? Um, did the path that you thought you were going to go on, if you thought any at all, did that pan out the way you expected? So it did not. So I, my senior year of college was applying to journalism fellowships. I really wanted to go into journalism, um, specifically radio journalism. Um, my dream job was essentially to be a foreign correspondent for NPR. Um, that was, that was where I was headed. And, um, I actually had, um, some friends who had applied to teach for America and, um, they actually reached out to me and said, Hey, we're this teaching fellowship program. Here's more information about what we do. And, I applied not thinking I would get in because it was really competitive and because I had no teaching experience before. Um, and then when I got accepted, I had this realization, right, of as much as I wanted to be a journalist, I knew that probably the first at least two or three years would be me sitting in a studio transcribing audio. I wouldn't be getting to do the fun uh, you know, foreign assignments that I wanted. And I felt this need and this calling in my heart of like, you know what, I don't want to be sitting transcribing audio for two years. Like I want to do something where I'm working with people and I can really see um, and feel like I'm making a difference from the get-go. And so once I got accepted into Teach for America, I said, you know what, this is this is going to be my new path. Um, I, I, I thought that, you know, going into teaching then that I would do something with health and wellness. 
um, in yoga. I was really passionate about nutrition, but I did not at all, uh, you know, my first year or even two years um, envision that, you know, A, I would still be in the classroom and B, I would be teaching uh, yoga as a full-time class uh, in a middle school. So it it definitely, my journey uh, was windy, but um, here I am. That's amazing. So one, you, you basically said, I want the action now. <laughs> I yes. I want the action now. Um, and so I wonder, what did that feel like? What did that feel like for you? Like when you first realized, had that moment where you said, okay, I'm not going to be in the field or overseas think, doing what I thought that I would do. And I'm sure you had all these pictures in your head of what it would be like. And then you were in the classroom. Was there some sort of friction in how you felt about that at all? And if so, how did you, um, how did you, I guess, groom yourself to be, to be excited or um, okay with, with your new path? If, if it took any grooming at all, or was it just immediate? You were like, cool, this is what I'm doing and when we're good. No, I mean, I think I would be lying, right? If I said I didn't have, you know, if I said everything was hunky-dory, right? I was 22 and I had never taught before and I was about to go be responsible for a a room of 20 plus children, right? And so I felt that responsibility um, really strongly and I had a lot of self-doubt. I wasn't sure that I was capable. Did I even know how to teach? Would I um, be able to get anything, you know, uh, done? Like, would I be effective as a teacher? Um, But I have always loved kids and I have always, um, you know, in smaller ways enjoyed, like I babysat a lot as a kid. And so it wasn't so, I knew that I would be fine building relationships with kids. And that was something that I was really excited about. Um, but I think it was more, right, the actual pedagogy of teaching that really was the part that gave me pause and um, brought a lot of, you know, self-doubt um, in into my mind. And um, thankfully, Teach for America, uh, you know, gave us some sort of training program. Um, so I wasn't totally thrown in um, without any training. But I think what it came down to was I had to trust that building relationships with students was the most important thing that I was ever going to do in the classroom. And that focusing on that, right, of like, this is this is how I want to show up. Building relationships with kids is fine. Anything else on top of that, um, I think my first year or two or even three of teaching um, felt like icing on the cake. So that was really how I wrapped my mind around it. And what I tried to focus on um, those first few years was just getting to know my students and trying to find a way to relate to them and be that supportive adults in their life. That's awesome. So did you hop around as far as subjects that you taught in those first three years? So I actually taught special education. So I taught uh, mostly reading interventions. Um, So I I pulled a lot of small groups and did phonics 
um, with some groups of kids. And then my third year, I actually had a small group math class, uh, which was really challenging for me because math is not my strong suit. So uh, that year I was relearning uh, as I was teaching. Um, so so I actually learned something uh, the year that I taught <laughs> that I taught uh, math as well. That's fantastic. I'm right there with you. It, 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 math and I are, we're pals now. <laughs> we have to be, but we are not best friends. Um, and so uh, clearly, eventually you transitioned into, I don't, did you always have that entre- entrepreneurial spirit, spirit? Um, or if not, when did you have that realization? Like, hey, I'm going to make this into a thing. You know, I'm going to make yoga and schools into a thing that I offer. And I'm happy about that or I'm, you know, I'm moving forward with that. What did that process look like from being that brand new Teach for America teacher to being Emily Fleming Yoga um, that you are today? That's a great question. And as I was thinking about this question, I realized that, uh, A, my dad is an entrepreneur. So I think that in some sense uh, that may be in my blood. Um but I couldn't at first pinpoint ways that I had been entrepreneurial as a kid. And then it suddenly hit me, oh, I used to always have a lemonade stand uh, that I would set up in the park every summer. And, uh, you know, I was never allowed to uh, keep the money that I made. I always had to donate it. Um, But I was very industrious and enterprising about that. And always I had a friend who decided she was going to compete with me and have her own lemonade stand as well. And so I had to get really creative. So I do think in some ways there has been that entrepreneurial spirit in me um, since I was younger. And it just took some uh, nurturing to to figure out. Um, for me, what really happened was I, I taught for three years. Um, I was really burned out. I was at a point where I loved my students, but I didn't love the environment that I was teaching in. I, I didn't necessarily love my administration. Um, and I, I didn't particularly love teaching um, phonics or reading. And I actually ended up doing a lot of yoga with my students um, who I pulled um, in small groups. Um, and I saw this need, right? And I also realized that if I wanted to stay in the classroom, which I did, that I needed to teach something that I was passionate about. Um, otherwise, I would be doing a disservice to kids. Um, no child's, in my mind, I don't think any child's benefits from a disinterested or a dispassionate teacher. Um, And so that became, you know, that came from this space of I was really unhappy um, waking up, going to work every day, doing a job that um, took everything out of me. And I had this moment of this isn't what I want my life to be like. I have to follow my heart. I have to take this leap. And I thought I wanted to teach yoga in schools and I wanted it to be a full-time class that every child had access to. Um, And so I just decided, you know what, I'm going to try and make this happen um, for better or for worse. And it was really scary. And 
There were definitely times where I didn't think I could do it. There were a lot of people in my life who thought I was crazy um, and were like, yeah, okay, you keep living that dream. <laughs> and, um, but I, I made it happen. And um, I, I think that if you want something enough and if you work really hard um, and you make sure that you acquire the right skills and the right training and you're open to listening and seeing the environment that you are in, right, or the market that you're working in, that you can make these things happen even if they haven't been done before. Um, so, But for me, it really was my heart. Truly for my own well-being, for my heart, I had to... Uh, get out of this, the teaching situation that I was in. And this for me was the logical next step. I couldn't see myself going to from teaching and interacting with people all day to sitting in a cubicle for, you know, eight hours a day doing a desk job. Um, that wasn't going to be any more fulfilling for me. Um, so yeah. that's, that's how I, that's how I got here. That's awesome. And I, I think that it's very interesting that you said um, that you, you know, it's okay to go and do something that's never been done before and to really try and try and really try hard because a, a lot of entrepreneurs do listen to this podcast and will listen to this podcast. And not a lot of people, you know, I would say, I, I might even go as far as to say all um, have naysayers, you know, you have we have big ideas as human beings We're we're designed to have ideas. Like that's who we are as human mm -hmm. beings. We're creative, we're creative beings. And so we can all have those naysayers who say, Oh my God, you're, you're absolutely crazy. You know, go ahead with your little dream. Um, and sometimes, you know, some folks are, are better at getting past, past that than others. And so um, when, when it comes to the work really hard part, I heard you mention that what, do, what did working really hard mean for you? Because, it can, it sounds, sometimes it sounds like hustle, 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 and just put your head down and get things done. But I know that work really hard can mean different things to different people. So what did it mean for you throughout your journey? Absolutely. So when I think back to the first year that I really had this idea, um, I didn't have any business experience, right? So part of working hard for me meant enrolling in a um, you know, business course that um, a teacher I knew was was running um, that had to do with uh, with with like running a successful yoga business, right? And so I had to put myself in a situation where I was learning and I was stretching in that way. And then I had to say, okay, if I'm going to do this, then I need to figure out what it is I'm going to teach. What is my curriculum going to be? Um, and so I had to you know, get inspiration. And then I had to distill down um, what I wanted to teach. And then I actually had to implement. And I think that that is a step that sometimes um, gets overlooked, right? Part of working hard means taking your idea and testing it out. And so I had my third year teaching, I had a small group um, of girls that I would pull once a week and we would do, I I ran through this six-week yoga program with them and I um, had put it together and I figured out what worked and what didn't. And then I um, would tweak from there. And it, it, it was a constant um, 
there, there's this constant refinement that happens, right? And so that comes from um, learning, knowing what you don't know, and then also implementing and getting feedback, whether it's formal or informal. Um, and then I also, I talked to a lot of people, um, people in the yoga world, people in the education world, um, to really see if this would have legs, if this was something that I could make happen, and and if so, how. Um, and then even when I was at the point where I was interviewing for jobs and having conversations with principals, right, I engaged in self-reflection and I would really try and listen to what I heard principals saying, what were the answers to the questions that they wanted. And I would figure out, okay, how can I meet that need? How can I speak about this more clearly? Um, And so I, I think when I say working hard, it's knowing what you're good at and also knowing what you're not good at, learning, and then also constantly implementing and refining. Um, and, and that still happens to this day, right? As a teacher, um, I'm constantly implementing, refining, reflecting. Um, so, so that when I say work hard, that's, that's what I mean. And I was doing all of that on top of, you know, my full-time, um, teaching job. Um, but yeah, but I also believe too, for me, uh, it doesn't feel like work because it's really what I love doing. And so um, I think if it's the right thing for you, it won't feel like you're, you know, working an extra job on top of your full-time job. Um, It will feel like, you know, filling your cup and, um, and, and that's really important distinction to make. Um, because yes, it's hard work, but it's also fun work. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that because, I mean, I cannot tell you how many things I've read or places I've looked or things I've heard that said, you know, they say if, if, if it's what you're supposed to be doing, it doesn't feel like work. And I think that sometimes now it's kind of like water rolling off of a duck's back when people hear that because meme culture on social media is so popular, but you don't really hear too many examples of people actually living that meme. (laughs) So it's very encouraging. Um, And I I hope it's encouraging to those of you listening, hearing Emily's story and just how you follow your heart, follow your passion. It can sound cliche, can sound woo woo, but it's real. You know, you got to do it. And, um, and you're living proof, Emily. So thank you for that. Um, And so over, you've had quite the journey, You've, you've shared these stories with us. So present day, what does a day in the life of Emily look like? Um, you have so many responsibilities you're juggling. You have a course that you um, offer, which we're going to talk about later. So what does a day in the life of Emily look like? Sure. So I get up in the morning. I get myself ready for work. I always eat breakfast. Uh, I don't know how people cannot eat breakfast, uh, but uh, I ne- certainly need that fuel for my day. Um, and then I go to work. So I teach full-time in a middle school. So I'm at work from our school day runs 8.30 to 3.10. So I am there. Um, When I come home, um, I take a walk. Um, That's become a non-negotiable for me. It allows me to clear my mind and also creates the space for me to shift gears. Um, 
And then evenings are generally a mix of meal prep, um, definitely um, working on my yoga business. Uh, I have one or two nights a week where I'll spend an hour or two after work in the evenings um, working on that, creating my course. Um, and then, you know, I try to I try to be in bed at a reasonable hour. I am someone who who needs a lot of sleep to function optimally. Um, <laughs> so I yeah, I would much rather get up earlier in the morning to get something done. Um, so I, I try and be in bed by 10 or 1030. Um, and that's that's what a typical weekday uh, looks like for me. That's amazing. And it's so wonderful that you know yourself. Um, and I know that, you know, we talked about um, again, you following your heart and, and wanting to bring yoga to, to kids. So could you tell us why yoga is so important for children or why you believe that yoga is so important for children to know and to practice? Sure. So for me, I think kids can, it allows kids to process and understand themselves and the world that they're living in in a very different way than, um, you know, a they might uh, in a traditional classroom setting. And so I always think of it as adding another tool um, to a child's toolbox, right? It is a way for any human being, um, but oftentimes, especially children, to understand what they're feeling, to name it, and then to find a way to uh, respond and and take control of those emotions, right? I think even as adults, we're able to understand that there are times when our emotions are in control and we are not. Um, and kids definitely feel that too. And so it, for, I am so passionate about this because these are tools that kids can use throughout their lives when life gets difficult, when life gets messy, because it does. Um, and it's not going to fix anything, right? It's not this um, magic bullet that's going to solve all of their problems, but it is a tool that they can use when um, maybe they're really stressed out or they have a presentation and they are getting that stage fright, right? These are these are tools, there's yoga poses they can do specifically to help them gain confidence, um, to help them get energy, to help them relieve stress. There's the whole breath work um, and breathing component to it. Um, and so for me, I want to empower kids to really take ownership of their feelings and feel like they're in control of the situation and that when life gets hard, they are empowered because they say, oh, okay, I'm going to try tool X, tool Y, and tool Z um, instead of getting to that place where, um, you know, maybe they feel like they don't have a way to process or um, to cope or to understand Um so yeah. I, yeah, that's my, that's my long winded answer for you. No, that's excellent. Thank you. Um, it's, it, it, it's an important tool. I mean, I remember when I was in elementary school, I, I was in homeschool for middle school, but I can go back to being in a public elementary school. And I know 
I was a pretty shy child. Um, and then there were kids who were the exact opposite. And I believe that yoga would have helped the both of us because I believe that I was pretty shy because I was afraid for people to know how I felt. And then you had the kids who were the exact opposite who were like, I don't know how to control how I feel at all. And so I'm just going to let it all out. And a lot of times the response that the adults would give would be, you know, yelling at the kid, punishing the kid, go in the corner, you don't get your snack. And then we all leave the classroom with these messy emotions and we go back and do it again the next day. And then the next day and the next day turns into being 32, 42, 60 years old, having never understood that it was possible to take hold of your emotions and to control your environment in some way. So thank you for bringing that to children and to the world. That's so, so important. Um, And what do you believe yoga does for the education field in general? Um, There are so many education evolves always. And yoga, actually, you were the very first person that I heard of bringing yoga into schools. I'm sure there are a couple more out there or maybe there are a whole lot more out there. But when I heard what you were doing, I was like, whoa, this is excellent. So what may um, I know you talked to us earlier about, you know, when you were when you were teaching for Teach for America, you were practicing it. Um, a bit even then. So what does yoga do for the field of education that without it is just not done? So for me, I, I think education, there is sometimes a lack of focus on the whole child, right? And we are so focused on academic success and have this very narrow view of what success in the classroom looks like. But if you really think about it, our job is to nurture children into becoming successful, happy adults, right? And part of the way we do that is through meeting them where they are and looking at the whole child. And so I'm a big believer that we need to, in society in general, normalize talking about feelings, um, but especially so with children. Um, And so I think what yoga really offers is a tool and a lens um, for students to be able to explore and tap into feelings and emotions and experiences um, in a way they may not otherwise uh, get to, right? Sometimes it's hard even as adults for us to name our emotions, right? Like we might not know that we're really stressed out until we feel Um, the tension in our shoulders, and we notice that we're bawling our fists. Um, And so yoga, allowing kids to move and connect to their breath and their bodies can oftentimes allow them to say, oh, okay, when this happens in my body, I'm feeling this way. And then I can, um, you know, meet myself where I am. I can do this pose, um, you know, to support me in this situation. And so I really think that um, social emotional learning is is a big movement in education right now. Um, But yoga is a really great way to practice um, the the social emotional learning skills, right? Um, Self-management, social awareness, teamwork, all of those things are built into the practice of yoga. Um, and so it's a way for kids to implement um, these uh, soft skills, as we might say, that are oftentimes really hard to to measure um, 
in other ways. Yeah. So, so what do you do? Um, I know that for some people or some communities, yoga and anything to do with healing and the movement of your body is can be considered a spiritual practice to some and to some that can be off putting or in some communities, it can still be considered taboo of some sort. So do you ever or have you ever encountered a situation or difficult conversation where an adult or even a child had those feelings towards yoga? Um, and, and if so, how did you handle it? Or how would you recommend someone handles that sort of situation? Absolutely. Yeah, I have had that come up um, a, a number of times um, with with parents of students. And the first thing that I always like to do is really try and engage that parent in conversation. And I have an open door policy in my room, right? So one of the first things I say is, I hear you. I understand your concerns, but I I would invite you to come into class and see it for yourself, right? Because I think that if they came in and they saw it for themselves, they would realize we're not chanting OM. We're not using Sanskrit. uh, We're not, you know, uh, worshiping someone else other than God, right? And so I think that being open to hearing those concerns and then providing parents or whoever it is with more information of simply, hey, you are invited anytime you want to come in to come in and see what we're doing. Um, Because I think providing an opportunity for someone to see it if they're open to it and really understand who you are as a teacher, what you're doing as a class with your students, if you're teaching students, um, I, I think that can be really helpful. And sometimes it's not, right? I've had um, parents that I have extended that invitation to who have said, you know what? Nope, I still don't feel comfortable with it. And my job is not to force it on anyone, right? As I said before, this isn't a fix. It's another tool for kids to have in their toolbox. And so um, if a parent doesn't want their child participating, if they don't want to participate, that's totally okay. Um, and and we find alternative ways around that. Um, there are ways that, you know, I'll have kids um, do an independent project where instead of practicing yoga, they're um, maybe reading about uh, athletes who are practicing yoga and the benefits that they've gotten from it. And they're, they're learning about um, breathing and the ways that breathing can, you know, affect the brain. And so keeping it very um, secular always, but also understanding that it's not something that's going to resonate with everyone. And that's not our jobs, right? Our job is to create a, a space um, for those who it does resonate with, and then for those who it doesn't, to be okay with that and to find a way to either um, call them into to joining us or simply just saying okay, and um, you know we'll we'll work on something else. Yeah, thank you for that advice. Um, I hope I hope that I, I, you know no matter what folks are bringing to schools that that's new that you know, they're able to pull from the advice that you just gave, because I know that yoga is not going to be the first or the last (laughs) um, new offering that that receives pushback. So 
Um, and I also know that you, you know, in your bio, you have, um, excuse me if I pronounce this wrong, but a, a Sankalpa, is that how you pronounce it? Yep. That's, okay. that's good. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sankalpa, yours is soft heart, courageous truth. Um, and so I, I would love if you could, if you could educate us, what is a, a Sankalpa and, um, why did you choose yours and should children have their own? Sure. So the the easiest way for me to explain it is it's uh, an intention, right, for teaching or for um, living in the world. Um, so um, soft heart, courageous truth for me, that's how I want to show up in spaces. I want to keep my heart um, really open for me. That, that word soft is just like, okay, that's that's how it feels to me when my heart is open and I'm present and I'm listening and I'm um, receptive. And then for me, right, speaking truth is courageous and truth is, is, is not always fun to hear and it's not always easy to hear and it's, um, it's sometimes messy. And so um, when I am showing up as a yoga teacher and as a human, um, those are the two things that that I want to bring to the table. And so my sankalpa is really my intention and it reminds me um, how I want to show up in a space um, when I walk into it. Um, should children have them? Um, I don't think it's a it's a should question. Um, I, I think if they want them, right, it's absolutely an exercise that you can do um, with kids to try and say, Hey, like, who are you? What's important to you in five words or less? Like, how do you want to be a good friend or how do you want to be in the world? Um, And, and I, I think that that, that can be a really beneficial exercise. Um, I do something a little bit different with my students. I have them create um, mantras and have them identify their core values and then create a mantra that they can use um, and remember when, um, you know, they may be, you know, struggling with a hard problem on a test. Um, They can come back to that, right? They remember what they're working for, um, what's important to them. Um, But it's it's essentially just an intention um, for how you want to show up um, in the world or in a space. And how should, do you have any steps, like maybe one to two first steps or just a simple introduction? If a parent wanted to introduce their child to yoga or if an, um, an educator wanted to start doing little yoga practices in their classroom until someone like you does come along um, into the school, what's a great first step that um, parents or educators can take to introduce children to yoga? So the first step that I will say is as a parent or a teacher, you should have your own practice. Uh, first, right? Um, And then you should invite your child or your student to um, practice with you. I think that's the best way, Um, right? As I said, I begrudgingly went to yoga because my mom (laughs) asked me to when I was 16. Um, But I think if we can model for kids, hey, this is something that I'm doing, um, it sometimes allows them to build that interest and that curiosity on their own because they're seeing us do it. Um, And I'm a big believer in like, we shouldn't ask someone to try yoga, right? If we as a parent (laughs) or a teacher aren't willing to do it ourselves and don't already have 
um, some experience with the practice. Um, so that would be the big thing. Develop a practice yourself and then create opportunities for your child or for your student um, to join you, to engage with um, the practice. I would say the third thing is make it really interesting and relevant for them, right? If you know your child, um, let's say, really likes sports, then do some research. Find some professional athletes that do yoga. Um, you know, show them clips or have them read articles about that athlete talking about yoga or mindfulness and the benefits that they get from it. Um, that's a really great way to make the practice seem go from something that seems very foreign, right, and maybe a little bit weird to a kid to something that um, they have curiosity about and that they're really interested in learning more about um, on their own. Okay, well, that's 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 that is excellent because I know that anytime I'm I eat vegan now, and I know when folks first introduced the idea to me, I was like, do you do it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> have you stopped eating meat? Um, and, you know, have you stopped eating dairy? And so that's very important to, to understand that that concept carries over into anything that you do. People are more inclined to listen when they know that you've done it for you or can see that you've done it for yourself first and it has worked in some way. Um, and so how do you approach serving children living with physical disabilities who, who may not be able to um, participate in the traditional um, movements or practices that you may teach? Absolutely. That's a great question. So I, I think it's meeting the child's where they are is the most simple answer. So there's a lot of um, yoga poses that can be done seated or that can be done um, you know, in a, I don't want to say uh, in a non-traditional sense, right? But I think we get very focused on, well, this is what yoga is. Um, yoga is way more of a way of being and living than it is about the physical postures that we're doing. Um, so I think it's meeting a child where they are. Um, sometimes it can just be um, teaching that student the breath work exercises, um, figuring out ways that you can engage them if they need to be seated or they need to be standing or you want to have them use um, a wall space or do partner poses. Those are all different ways that you can, um, you know, obviously assess what the physical disabilities are, but um, engage that student in the practice, but also um, allow them to feel like they're part of things, right? So in that situation, I wouldn't necessarily just ask that child to do those poses seated. I would have the whole class um, do a practice seated or the whole class do partner poses, right? Because we don't want that child to feel like they're not part of it and that they can't do um, what everyone else is doing. So I think it's about adapting and and changing your understanding of, of yoga and what it looks like and, 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 and being creative and sometimes understanding that, okay, just having kids breathe and reflect, like that's yoga too. Um, that's excellent. Yeah. I mean, um, I really appreciate that approach and I, you know, I hope that it, that your advice helps folks, you know, no matter what, what sort of practice or, 
thing that they're doing where there may be folks in the in the environment who do need a bit of an adjustment because I, I you know I believe that even the kids who may not be living with that disability that's a lesson for them as well you know it's a lesson on inclusion I think that's beautiful um, and so we're going to zoom out a little bit here um, kind of looking at the big picture when we talk about education and where it's going and where it's how it's evolving so what is the world taking too long to realize when it comes to the way that we educate children? And, and, and how are you changing that? Mm. I really believe that we are taking too long to realize that there is not a one size fits all model. And every student comes into a classroom every single day with different needs. And so while something may have worked yesterday for that student, it's not necessarily going to work today, right? We are all very different people every day. We have different needs and emotions and feelings. Um, and I really think that our education system needs to be focused on uh, expanding um opportunities and also like getting out of this, you know, sitting at a desk all day, taking notes, um, writing things down, doing, you know, X, Y, and Z, all of these things that have been such a part of education for so long. Not every student is going to thrive in that environment. And I think we've seen that with COVID, right? And this this switch in a lot of ways to to virtual learning. There's a lot of students that are that are struggling in that environment, but I also have some students who are really thriving with the ability to be at home and to not have the distractions of a classroom in front of them. Um, wow. So I, I never even thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been really interesting to see, right. Who is, who's thriving with that model and, and who, thrives in a more traditional classroom sense. And so I think creating more opportunities um, for kids to thrive um, in, 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 in education uh, needs to happen. And, and we have to be creative and we have to be open that that might not look like them sitting at a desk in a classroom for seven hours a day every day. Yeah, it, that's Hey, that's, that's, that's the truth. And I know that, um, you, you also, not only do you bring these new offerings, but you also teach other, um, adults how to bring yoga into schools. And so, um, I'm wondering, you know, let's say I'm a principal, we're going to do a little bit of role play. <laughs> I'm a principal right now. You're here, you know, you're trying to convince me to bring your program into my school. Could you give me your one minute pitch for why I should approve your program for my school for my students? Yes, I will. And I'm laughing because I do this exact same exercise uh, with my the the kids yoga teachers that I (laughs) (laughs) that I work with. Um, So, yes. So. Yoga is a tool that students can use to uh, meet themselves where they are and through yoga, students are able to really discover um, what they're interested in and retake control of some of the uh, really big external factors in their life that they may not otherwise have control over. We also know, right, yoga allows kids to get up and move and and learn in a different way. And it gives them this hands-on uh movement-based knowledge and integration um, that's that's really important 
for their own success. Um, and so social emotional learning is really important in schools. This is a way um, for us to allow students to practice and really take ownership of those skills and understand um, what they mean to them. Sold. <laughs> Ooh, that is so, it's so hard. It's like, I, yeah, I thank you for that. I need to, <laughs> it's a good exercise that you have to keep coming back to that one minute elevator pitch. And, and it really is. I mean, the way you described it to me, I, I'm no principal, never have been anything like it, but I would have said yes. Um, so <laughs> Great. Awesome. Study Emily's elevator pitch, guys. <laughs> Clearly at work, she's in schools. Um, but so we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more about you personally. Um, I'd love to know some of your favorite type of music. So what um what do you consider your pick me up music? Like when you not necessarily that you had a grumpy day or a bad day, but when you need something just to like lift your spirits and like just get you going. Do you have a song that you always turn to, or or a particular artist or genre? Oh, you know, um, I really love. There's a couple Matis Yahoo and there's some Lupe Fiasco that uh, oh, are my favorites. <laughs> both. Yeah, they uh, they're on my yoga playlists, but those are the songs that I'm like, all right, I I can do this. I can I can turn this day around. Um, I also really just love listening to pop and what it's ever on the radio. Um, so I can. I, you know, if I hear a song enough times, then it becomes my jam for <laughs> three weeks and then it becomes something else. Um, so I would say anything that's like, you know, uh, catchy, but also like up tempo. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really get the blood moving. Exactly. It's like um, every Drake song ever. It's like, I hate this song. I love this song. Exactly. <laughs> played it 8 million times. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's like when you're starting to like, you know, that song is appearing in your dreams, then you're like, okay, this is, right. it's enough. <laughs> exactly. So what about when you need to chill out when you want to be mellow? What, what kind of songs or genres or artists do you turn to then? So I really love, um, Amos Lee. Um, I really love Tracy Chapman. Um, I, there's some other great, Ben Harper is great. Um, Damien Rice. Um, nice. Just like to go really mellow, um, in, in that way. Um, I will say though, like when I turn music on, it's great, but it's not always the first thing I go to and people are always really surprised. It's like, you don't listen to music all the time. I'm like, no, I listen to it when I practice or I'm in the car or I, you know, I've had a bad day, but I'm not, I'm not going around uh, listening to music all the time. So call no me wonder, crazy, uh, <laughs> but no wonder you and I get along. So well. I don't either. And people think it's really weird. And I just, it's not, I'm like, I love, I like music just as much as the next person, but it's just not something that I do all the time. Um, Kindred spirits. I haven't met anyone else, right? We, we got to stick together. We got to stick together because you, my sister, myself and you are the only three people I've ever heard <laughs> say this. Maybe somebody out there listening. If you're, if you're a part of the club, send me an email or DM. Um, but so what is the best advice that you've ever received in life? And why do you believe it was the best advice? Oof. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I will say, I don't know that it's necessarily a piece of advice, but I feel incredibly lucky to have had, 
um, parents who really told me from day one that you need to do what makes you happy um, and we will love you unconditionally um, regardless of what that is and what that looks like. And so that's the advice I would say is like follow your heart at all costs, um, even if it feels really scary because it will and you might feel like you're about to take a giant leap and like you don't know where you're going to land. Um, but I think being happy as an adult um, is really important, right? That's, that's, we get one life. Um, and so follow your heart, do what makes you happy, let go of how it quote unquote should look. Um, and, and know that you will have people who will be there to catch you when you fall, uh, and when you take your next step and they may not be in your immediate family that you may not have met those people yet, but you will have people who are supporters of your happiness, who are supporters of your joy. Um, and, and you're not alone in that. Wow. That's excellent. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's so important. Um, parent support is everything. And I know that not everybody, you know, might have their biological parents, but like Emily's saying now, even if that's not the case, there are always people, whether you've met them yet, you know, or have not that are going to be happy and supportive of you. So keep, keep the faith, keep going. Um, and so can you recall a time where a child's words changed your life in forever or in some way? And do you remember what the child said? I do. So I actually, uh, thought of this question. And then I was in my classroom today. And I actually have this note from a child from my third year um, taped on the wall of my classroom. And of course, not being in my classroom for much of the last year, um, I had forgotten about it. But in this, she wrote me this really beautiful note. She was, I believe, a sixth grader. Um, and it was my first year as her teacher. And she wrote, if you even feel like giving up, just remember there's a little girl watching who wants to be just like you. Mm -hmm. And um, that on the days where teaching is really hard and where I'm frustrated or um, off, I really come back to that. And, wow. um, you know, it's that reminder of there's always eyes on me. There's always people watching and, and, these are little humans that also have needs and feelings and emotions and, and how I show up for them really, really matters. That is so powerful. I, I wish we could like frame that. <laughs> I know, I know I need to, I need to frame it. And it's, it's, it's hanging on, you know, it's, it's a piece of notebook paper hanging on the wall of my classroom, but I should definitely figure out a better way to, to preserve that. Yes. I don't know if you've seen SpongeBob, but if Mr. Krabs can frame his first dollar, you can definitely frame <laughs> it. <laughs> um, yes. So this is the last question. What is the best advice that you've ever given? Ooh. Oh, gosh. Uh, that I've ever given. Mm -hmm. You know, I would probably say, and I'm sure that I've given this um, advice, I've given this advice to, to students a lot. And I think 
I think it's good advice for all of us is, um, right, like be the leader that you are. Um, I think we all have inherent leadership capabilities and strengths. Um, We may not see it. We may not, um, you know, nurture it. But I think if we we can remember, hey, I can be a leader. Um, this is something that is inherent to me, right? Um, it's not something that just certain people get to be because of X, Y, and Z reason. No, I think we all really do have this leadership capability um, within us. And so, um, yeah, be the leader that that you are um, because we need more leaders um, in this world. That's awesome. And thank you for being a leader in so many different ways, even in leading us, you know, in in those who might want to get into yoga for yourself or bring yoga into schools or just learn about following your passion and your heart. Thank you, Emily, for joining us today. And how can listeners get in touch with you? Where can we find more about you? I know you have an excellent blog um, that, I mean, there are just no words. I love it because I feel like your blog is like still one of the bloggiest blogs out there because <laughs> in that it's you, you know, I, I work in SEO and content marketing. And a lot of times, you know, we go based off of keywords and things like that. And that's important in order for people to be able to find your posts via search engines. And you also incorporate those in your blogs. But I love how much soul is in your blog and how much truth and personality is in your blog. So that's my tangent about how great Emily's blog is and how you should go read it. But back to the original request is how can we get in touch with you? <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so best ways to get in touch with me, um, social media. I am on um, Instagram. It's at Emily Fleming Yoga. Um, and Facebook is the same. Uh, my website is emilyflemingyoga.com. That is where my blog lives. Um, that is where you can find more information on uh, my teacher self-care course. And if you're a kid's yoga teacher or you just want to learn more or you want to bring yoga into schools um, or your school, um, but you don't know where to start, um, all of that information um, can be found there as well. If you're a principal or a school leader, um, I am doing some consulting for schools um, and helping schools to really develop yoga and mindfulness programs that are tailored to their students' needs. Um, so all of that information can be found there, emilyflemingyoga.com. Excellent. So guys, clearly Emily has something for everybody, the whole family, <laughs> the administration. <laughs> um, do not, you know, don't don't waste this resource. Emily's excellent. Please visit her website, emilyflemingyoga.com. Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. And everybody, I hope you all stay well. You're welcome. Thank you, Mariah, for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. So what'd you think? How will you take what you learned today on the Ed Gap Evolution podcast to make sure that more children and families know that they have more options for building a magnificent future? If you like what you heard and want to get notified when the next episode goes live, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll notify you when the next episode is out. Don't forget to check the show notes where I share information on today's guests and yes, we do have a website. You can always pop in on us at www.eggapevolution.com. Again, I'm Mariah Phillips, and I leave you with this. Embrace the evolution, y'all.